Boys and girls, I trust you still have your bag of gifts for Advent. I'm going to ask you to reach inside and take out the one that says, do not open until December 20, and then do not open it yet. Did you hear the song the praise team just sang? Hark the herald angels sing. I want to tell you a story about that song, a true story. It was a poem first written by a man named Charles Wesley, who was a preacher long time ago in England, and the king didn't like him at all, and lots of other people didn't like him too. And he wrote this poem about Christmas, and nobody wanted him to read it. Nobody wanted to hear it. So it just sort of sat on his desk. Sometime later, a printer was putting together a book of prayers for the church the king went to, and before he printed it, he realized he had one blank page at the end and nothing to put on it. So he looked through his papers, and he found a poem called Hymn for Christmas Day. It was one page long. He had one empty page. He put it on the page, printed it, put the books in the church, in the pews, for people to use to pray. And then the king realized the poem he had put in there was from the preacher he didn't like. And he wanted all the books taken away, but the people loved the poem, so it stayed. But it was just a poem. And then one day, a famous singer was practicing some songs he wanted to sing, and he looked through some papers on his desk and found a poem that was called A Hymn for Christmas Day and realized that a song that a very famous musician by the name of Felix Mendelssohn had written music for fit with that poem. So he changed the name of the poem to hark the herald angels sing and put it with that music and it's been one of the most popular Christmas songs ever since. Two mistakes are why we have that song. One is the printer wasn't supposed to put it in the book and the other was there wasn't any music for it until accidentally a singer found some that fit. It's a story not only of how we got a Christmas carol we all know and love, but a story of how God brings good things out of bad situations sometimes. He did with that carol. He has done it here in this church and throughout this nation and throughout the world during one of the strangest years we've ever lived through. People are generous and loving and kind and giving and praying in spite of all the bad things that have been happening. So now I want you to go to the package that was labeled, do not open before December 20, and see what's inside. And what you'll find in there is an ornament you can hang on your Christmas tree with an angel on it and the year 2020 and saying, Hallelujah, which is Hebrew for praise God. 
That's the story the angels brought. It was a bad time when the angels came. And Jesus was born in a barn, put in a box when he was born. His parents didn't have any money. Nobody knew it was happening except some shepherds nobody else liked. It wasn't a good year. It wasn't a good time. It wasn't a good place. But God brought good out of it. He still does. And with the angels and because of their song, we can sing hallelujah too. Make sure you do. And now some of our own children will bring a message to us in song. scripture readings this morning, one from the Old and one from the New Testament, but before I read them, I want to say a couple of personal words to the Ivanrest congregation. This is the last Sunday I will be preaching here. I will still be preaching on Christmas Day, but this is the last Sunday, and it seems to have gone very fast, but it's a time now, when I want to say thanks to God and thanks to you for the privilege of serving him among you for 16 months, for assisting the transition team and the search team and the administrative team and the council and the staff during this time that you were without a pastor. As I said to the boys and girls, this is a strange time, a time of great need, a time of great division, an unusual time, certainly in my ministry and I expect in your lives too. When I stop and reflect on the fact that I'm saying farewell to people that I haven't seen in the last 10 months, even though I continued to preach and continued to minister here. I regret that fact, but I have seen God at work nonetheless. And in a time of pandemic and economic hardship, and political turmoil, and racial unrest, God has still been good, and still been with us, and still blessed us, and still worked with us, and it has been a privilege for me to be a part of that and to witness that among you. And I thank him and you, and say God bless you all. Now will you turn with me in God's word to the seventh chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter seven, verses 10 through 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now you house of David, 
Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your fathers a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Ahaz wouldn't ask for a sign, but God gave him one anyway. And we turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke, a passage you heard already in this service. So I only want to read a single verse once more, the 12th verse, part of the angel's message. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A riddle, first of all. What is about three inches square, has six sides, 54 movable parts, and 43.2 quintillion possible arrangements? That's 432 with 17 zeros. If you're still not sure you know the answer, then let me give you one more clue that will give it away. The object I'm talking about was invented by a Hungarian professor of architecture by the name of Erno Rubik. Rubik's Cube. Everybody knows about that. Oh, I've tried it. Never completed it. Nobody ever showed me how to do it. I never got anywhere with it. You see, I'm the kind of person who can't just look at something and immediately know how it works. I have to see it to believe it. Seeing is believing for me. And can you imagine how long it would take somebody like me to figure out which of the 43.2 quintillion possible arrangements is the right one with that tiny little three-inch square cube. But sit down next to me, I with my Rubik's Cube and you with yours, and show me how it works. Show me what to turn, when and where, and how to do it. And somewhere along the line, I'm quite likely to say, oh, I see, because such seeing is believing. Now with that in mind, listen again to what the angel said to the shepherds. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A sign. A sign to you, something to see, something to hold, something to touch, something to assist you in believing. 
Because if seeing is not always believing, seeing almost always helps believing. What is truly amazing to me is that God has been for centuries leaving signs, not only in Scripture, but around us and in our lives and our experience as well, to assist us in believing. And already back in the first century, Luke got the message. In the gospel that goes by his name and its sequel, the Acts of the Apostles, Luke uses the word sign more than any other New Testament writer. Consider the following. The one I just read to you from Luke 2.12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. God could have simply said from heaven, I love you. But instead, or in addition, shall I say, he came to show us so we could see it. Simeon, the old man who met with Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the temple, said of Jesus, this child is destined to be a sign. The child grew and the man he became lived and died, signed God. God could have simply said, I forgive you, but he showed us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus what that meant. Once Jesus' friends came to him and asked for a sign, the sign said to them, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah, Luke eleven twenty nine, a sign of things to come. Even his death and burial were signed God. God could have said the wages of sin is death. In fact, he did say it in scripture, but he showed us also in Christ so we could see it. Jesus came talking about ends, his own end, the end of Jerusalem, the end of everything. There will be signs, he said. Great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs in heaven. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. These are things that are going to happen. These are signs. God could have just told people, but instead he said, I want to show you so that when these things happen, you know what's going on. On Pentecost Sunday, Peter reminded the Jews of the words of the prophet Joel, quoted in Acts 2, 19. I'll show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And today, as then, the works of the church, enabled by the Spirit, come signed God. God could have just said, let there be, and there would be. But instead, he chose to work through us so we could see and touch and better believe. Peter went on in that same chapter to say, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 
Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did was signed God. God could have simply declared, this is my son, just believe him. But he enabled Jesus to do things that showed us what that meant, to help us believe. And as Stephen was dying beneath a growing heap of stones, the first martyr to Christian faith, he reminded the people, Moses led Israel out of Egypt and did wondrous and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. The acts of God came then as now, signed God. God could have just shouted it out from the clouds, but instead he showed it to us so we could believe. And from the cloths they wrapped Jesus in the day he was born to the cloths they wrapped him in the day he died, 33 years later, and all along the way, if we look, we can see the signs of God enabling us to believe. And the reality and the presence of those signs then and even now is grace. Now for just a few moments, will you look with me at the sign in Bethlehem and what it meant that there was a sign for you. By looking through some other words that have the word sign in them to let us see the full impact of what it was God was doing. A little baby wrapped in cloths lying in a cow's food box. This is signally important. This is out of the ordinary, unusual, dramatically important. Perhaps we will all look more closely and carefully at God's signs if we see the impact of this one. The cloth, the straw, the manger were first of all a signal. Now, what I'm telling you today is not profound, and it is not brand new, but it is important. Those items were a signal, and a signal points beyond itself by definition. It is not the object that is to be seen. It points to something else. The cloth, the straw, the wood, that's not what shepherds were to go looking for. They were to look for it so that they would know that what it held was the Son of God, a signal that they had found him. The way the sign was announced, it asked for signatories. People who said, well, I've seen it. I believe it. I know it. I have agreed with God. I signed a contract with God. This will be a sign to you. And immediately upon hearing that and seeing it, the shepherds and we are under obligation. We are faced with the choice, do I believe or not? God has put this before me to make us partners with him, to enlist us in his mission. The signs from God also have significance, meaning, import, consequence. The angel said to the shepherds, this will be a sign to you, you will find. I was standing in a hospital waiting room one time, 
a group of pastors I was with were having a tour of the hospital and the guide was telling us what was new and how the hospital worked to better enable us to minister to our own parishioners when they became patients there. And in the middle of that waiting room, while the guide was telling us about the hospital, there was a large round table with an incomplete jigsaw puzzle on it and pieces lying all around on the table. And without failing to pay attention to the speaker, during the time the speaker was talking, several members of our group just stepped over to that table and picked up a piece and put it where it belonged. The pieces invited their participation, invited them to come over and put something in that helped see the bigger picture, the deeper meaning. The significance of those hundreds of little pieces sent us in search of the meaning. And that's the way it is with God's signs. I mean, just look around you here today. Little sprigs of evergreen, not just because it's pretty, but because evergreen is a symbol of eternal life. A circle, not just because it's unique, but because it reminds us of eternity. Colors, purple, the color of royalty, pink, the color of joy, white, the color of sinlessness. Little lights and flames reminding us of the light of the world. I want to tell you that as I was driving here today for this service, I went past an auto body shop with a lighted sign on a post in front of it that said, each of us is an innkeeper deciding whether there's room for Jesus. A sign that drew my attention. And then it occurred to me that all the lights we see, especially at night, at this time of year, if you really think about it, decking your porch with red, yellow, green, blinking lights is an odd thing to do if it weren't for the fact that ultimately it's because the light of the world came. And I'm even going to take the risk of going farther than that and say to you that a few years ago, I had a job that required me to go to several evening meetings a week. And every time I came home, I drove through a neighborhood not far from here, where as soon as the sun went down, a pump went on, and a whole choir of life size, I mean my size, caroling M&Ms popped up. And I'll tell you, the first time or two or five that I saw it, I thought, this is really corny. This is really annoying. And if you gave it to me, I'd never put an inflatable choir of M&Ms in my yard. But I let it remind me that it's only because of Jesus that this habit ever began 
of decorating outside, putting lights outside. M&Ms don't remind me of Jesus, but the fact that there are lights in people's yards at this time of year is like a sign sending me in search of significance. And now, in that regard at least, a sign like that could be even more significant because I'll never go by an inflated choir of M&Ms without thinking about how it made me remember Jesus. It just for a moment, think about the word sign itself. A sign is not just something that points beyond itself, but that points to something specific beyond itself. The signs of God point to Jesus. And I think it's absolutely amazing that God stoops to our weakness to give us assistance and help in coming to faith and strengthening our faith. And every time I think about that, especially at this time of year, I remember with deep sadness, a man I knew once in another church I served, who every year, a little bit after Thanksgiving, sent a protest to the council in writing against any Christmas decor in the sanctuary or the church building at all. And refused to go to church as long as it was there, so he never went to church during December. And what was there were two evergreen trees, symbols of eternal life, coming to a point, pointing to heaven, decked with chrismons, special symbols of Jesus and his ministry, reminding us of the things Jesus did and said, and candles that symbolized the light of the world. He said it was all pagan, and it was offensive. What it was, was God's love stooping to our weakness to help it become more real to us each time we saw it. And he missed it. God's signs are also his signature, as if he took a quill or a pen in his hand and signed his name. His signature is symbolic of his person. It says God is behind this. God is beneath this. God is backing this up. Everywhere you look today, you see God's signature. Paul said you can see it in all the things he made. He is inescapable. Everything he made has his signature on it. Every human being has God's signature on it, almost as if every person said, handmade by God. And the signs in this room, and maybe the signs in your living room or den, maybe the signs in your yard or your neighborhood, all as if they had been signed by God, saying, look for me, look at me, continue to seek me, and believe. So what do you see at this time of year? When you look around where you live, where you work, where you are, just busyness, just frivolity, just baubles, just blinking lights and bling, or signs that point beyond themselves 
to the most wonderful gift that was ever given, the gift of Jesus. Perhaps even being reminded through an inflatable choir of candy. At the urging of the angels, look for the signs. At the urging of the shepherds, follow the signs. At the urging of God, believe in the one to whom the signs point. Who said when they showed up that first Christmas, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news, great joy. God is at work. God is here. God is among us. God is in this world. And God is still at work in his church and in this one too. And to further emphasize that fact, Paul Landing has something to bring to the attention of our congregation. Good morning, Ivan Rest. The search team received a letter from Pastor Brandon Hahn this week, which I'm pleased to read to you. Dear sisters and brothers in Christ at Ivanrest Church, it is with joy and humility that Sarah and I write to inform you of our decision to accept God's call to come and serve you at Ivanrest. Lord willing, we will be with you soon to take up the work he has prepared for us, both with and among you. This has certainly been a difficult and weighty decision for us, one of the hardest of our lives. As you know, we have felt very affirmed in our call here at Brookfield CRC these last seven years. But as we prayed, discussed together, and read the countless letters of encouragement and affirmation from both you and the members of Brookfield, it became slowly clear that God was calling us more strongly to come and serve at Ivanrest at this time in our lives. It is with an Advent sense of excitement and anticipation for what God will do that we now begin the process of preparing for that service. To that end, we ask for your continued prayers as we determine end dates and start dates, pack up our lives, and get ready to move and say difficult goodbyes. We are eager to join you there in Granville, though, and we look forward to the next few weeks and months as we transition to a new home, a new ministry, and a new Christian community for years to come. Finally, thank you. Thank you for your prayers, thank you for your trust, and thank you for your patience. It means the world to us. We will see you soon. In Christ, Pastor Brandon and Sarah Hahn. Praise God for his faithfulness. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your patience with us, for your love for us, for stooping to our weakness to make it as easy as possible for us to believe, for surrounding us with signs of your activity and your love and your saving acts in history and in our lives. 
Thank you for this additional sign of your provision for us in enabling us to find and receive a new senior pastor and his family. We pray for your blessing on him and them, on the church they leave, and on this church to which they come, and ask that it will all bring honor and glory to you and further your kingdom here and everywhere else. In the name of Jesus, the sign from God, we pray. Amen.